Good morning, everyone. Sunday school lesson coming at you. Well, it's 11.56 a.m. on Sunday. It looks like the state of South Dakota is beginning to open up from COVID-19, and the elders will, and the deacons will soon be deciding for Community Bible Church of Peer, um, what that looks like going forward together as a congregation, how we shall meet, and, and things going forward. So that's kind of exciting that we might be able to resume the uh, somewhat like an old normal. We'll see how that transpires in the future, and praise be to God for, for that, and we'll also continue to lean on Him and trust Him for the days going forward and what we should and should not do for others <clears throat> as we meet and such things like that. Today we will be covering Romans 14, 1, uh, all the way through the end of the chapter in reading, and then we'll only cover about half of the chapter. We will end at verse 12 today. Uh, next week we'll kind of look more closely at the second half of the chapter. If you if you begin reading Romans 14, you should really follow through all the way through chapter 15, verse 13. Kind of continues to carry on that idea. And next week, we will read into chapter 15 with the second half of chapter 14 when we cover next week. I'm covering larger sections of scripture at this time. And I give you other passages of scripture that you can study regarding the topic. A big one being, I think it's 1 Corinthians eight and nine. Yes. First Corinthians eight and nine. Uh, it kind of talks about the similar things and some, it helps bring in some of that background information with regard to temples and idols and food rituals. But there's other good passages that study uh, talking about this issue, especially from a Jewish standpoint with regard to Acts 15, the Jerusalem council and what they decide, uh, they, what they ask of the Gentiles to to do with having a sensitive conscience toward their Jewish brothers in the Lord that are coming out of with the new teaching that they are they have some new food freedoms and ceremonial law freedoms that they weren't used to or accustomed to um, coming out of some of that some of the laws of Moses at the time as a national Israel that they would now be be free through teaching and strengthening the teaching of the Lord and, and of the apostles that they could have some of their dietary restrictions be released from that. And you can also read that. I believe it is in Mark seven where Jesus talks about that. And Peter remembers back to that time as he, uh, as, as John Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark uh, spells out for us that time with regard to food issues. But let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll read Romans 14. Lord, thank you for this time. We thank you for the internet. We thank you for the your word above all for you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, for giving our minds, for illuminating our minds so that we could better understand you. Thank you for beginning to open our minds by the power of your grace through what Jesus has done for us. That many Christians get to have minds that and come around your truth in, in great degrees and in others in slower ways. And Lord, you are a sovereign God over all the gifts of all the people and all the individuals that make up the church. Thank you for the many gifts that you've given to us through your grace. We don't deserve them. We don't deserve knowledge. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve to be mature, to grow. We don't deserve to bear fruit for others. We don't deserve to be uh, 
loving and kind. Lord, we were rebellious, sinful sinners, and we are worthy of punishment and eternal separation from you. But thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel of grace and for Paul. Thank you for giving Paul such understanding into this truth that he explains it for us. He, under, he explains to us the gospel so clearly of, of Christ and what he has done and what you have done and what the Spirit has done. Thank you, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, for bringing and working in us the salvation that you've provided for us. Help us now, Lord, to understand how you would have us act as a body of believers amongst each other, the weak and the strong, the mature and the not so mature yet, uh, the infants in Christ and the old sages, and also the young men and the young women that are growing in their doctrine and that are learning to fight for the truth and hold to the truth and are maturing in, in high degrees. Lord, help us to live together in unity and to build each other up in love as you've commanded to us. Help us to understand that big overview and the overtones here that Paul gives for us in Romans 14 and 15, that we, Jew and Gentile, are to live together in unity and to be thankful to you, God, for producing in us the work of your salvation, that the strong believers and the weak believers are to love one another as you have loved us and to understand that you are each individual person's Lord and master and you are able to make every single one of us stand in you. And so Lord, help us have an attitude of humility and an attitude of forgiveness and of one of acceptance of weak brothers and one of non-judgmentalness towards mature brothers that perhaps act in some of their freedom in a way that we might not understand. Help us, Lord, to have wisdom as we apply this passage to our lives and to not just jump over it lightly, but help um, help me to ha bring clarity to the issue, at least an overall view, and to speak clearly on this topic for your glory and your honor's sake and for the maturity of your church, to, that we may be a stronger man, a more mature man in Christ. Amen. Okay, Romans 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another person regards every day the same or alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God also. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, 
we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And Paul's trust there is not to man. So let's let's cover this section, how Paul focuses on every individual person. It's all to God. And it's, it's not uh, to man. And let's understand and see the importance of this as Paul is building unity of the church in Rome between Jews and Gentiles that are there. Now that the Gentiles likely are coming back into the city after the edict from the Caesar that had cast them out for a time. First, I want to start with the uh, terms and definitions, and that starts if you look in 14.1, chapter 14, verse 1. Let's take a look there. Except the one who is weak. So I want to address the one who is weak and what Paul has in mind here. And we build this from 1 Corinthians 8, as well as this passage here in Romans 14 and 15, with regard to food and days and stuff like that. Uh, weak in faith. Paul uses this term to describe a Gentile or a Jew who is holding on to their past experiences and their religious life as a new Christian. Uh, Jews often did not feel okay to eat meat that could have been potentially sacrificed to idols at an idol temple. Uh, this meat or this food would have been sold in a marketplace nearby a temple after it had gone before a temple idol or it was in the temple. And sometimes this was the case and sometimes not. You never knew if that meat was previously at the temple or not. And so some people were sensitive, like maybe we shouldn't eat meat at all. So uh, Jews or Gentiles, they just they decided in their own mind to ease their own conscience, worried about this. They, they wouldn't eat meat at all to spare themselves from offending God according to the ceremonial laws of Moses. Now, that was for the Jews. They were they were worried about that and, and kind of keeping the laws of Moses, and they didn't want to part, possibly participate with uh, pagan idolatry in any way. Now, some Gentiles who are getting saved out of paganism, uh, a similar uh, thought process here, they were coming out of their pagan festivals and their idol sacrifices and the libations or drinks served to the gods. They believed they needed to avoid absolutely everything possibly pagan from their old life and that included not eating meat that was potentially or possibly associated with the sacrifices at the temples that might have been sold in the marketplace later in the day so they strive to avoid offending the lord at all costs uh, to please him and to separate themselves from that old way of life like I've completely belonged to God now, and Jesus, I've got to do everything kind of away from that old style of life and be all over here. And, and they didn't know what freedoms maybe they had in Christ um, and where that was allowed, what that freedom looked like and was defined as. 
So these Gentiles would gladly eat vegetables only if it made them have a clear conscience that they never possibly ate the meat that may or may not have been part of a sacrifice at a temple to an idol. However, uh, according to some research documents, uh, vegetables and grains were also offered um, to the temple gods sometimes in these sacrifices. So being vegetarian didn't always necessarily guarantee that the vegetables you purchased in the market um, might not have potentially been offered to the idols as well. Those things also happened, and those types of foods were also offered to the gods. Just like uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God, Yahweh, God, God of Israel, he had... He had grain offerings and first fruits and things like that that were offered to him. So it wasn't just meat. There was also uh, the, the fruit and spoils of the earth that grew from the ground. Okay, let's look at the second definition I have for us, and that is the one who has faith. And later on in chapter 15, Paul calls these the strong believe. So we're going to call it the strong faith or the one who has faith that he may eat all things. And so this is different from the one who has weak in faith, as Paul said in verse 1 above. Let's look at the strong faith or the faith that he may eat all things. The confident faith or the strong faith or the faith to eat were those, we'll call it more strong or more mature Gentiles and Jews who had a greater knowledge of the teaching of the New Testament, which informed their consciences and their minds of when and where they had these new freedoms in the Lord regarding food and drink and even religious days. The Lord's official requirements um, were, they studied and learned what the Lord's new requirements were with regard to the new covenant, what the new procedures and the way that you could operate your life, what you could eat and not eat, what you could drink and not drink in the days that you were to worship or, or not necessarily worship. And in the New Covenant, there's a great deal of more freedom with regard to all three of those categories, food, drink, and religious days. And so these more mature Jews and Gentiles understood and felt and knew that they had more freedom and they were more confident in their choices regarding the eating of meat, of vegetables, and and of the days of worship. They knew that there is only one God and that all things are through him and by him and back to him and for him. They were confident that they were pleasing the Lord by trusting the truths that they were taught and given to them, I'm sorry, that were, excuse me, and giving him, God, glory in their new freedoms regarding drink. They trusted in God's teaching and they were moving forward in that, in their, and what they understood they had freedoms and where they could eat, drink in the days that they were to worship and could worship. So they were confident in their choices that they were pleasing the Lord. They understood that no idol is really a God. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 8. And that they were free to buy the meat in the market without concern, as long as their conscience wasn't concerned about it. They could buy that meat in the market without concern of what had happened to it before, possibly. And you never knew when you were at the meat market whether what kind of meat you were buying, if it was before an idol or if it wasn't. 
but I told you you can look up 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13, as well as 9, 19 through 23 for kind of the spirit of Paul's goal here in addressing these issues. Now I kind of want to get into just covering down through these passages of scriptures, okay? Paul says, accept the one who is weak. And so that's an admonition to those who think they are mature or strong. Okay, specifically, those who are mature or strong and they understand their freedoms, they need to accept the man who doesn't operate in those same freedoms. The command is to accept the weak brother in faith, the one who is weak in faith. But why do we accept him? Paul says, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So we are not to pass judgment on the weak brother's opinions. So that's what the strong need to do. Accept the, the one who is weak, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion. So we accept, we don't judge the weaker brother. We accept, we embrace, we acknowledge, we love, we build up, we encourage, and we serve sacrificially alongside him or her. Verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Okay, so the strong brother believes that he can eat any meat, any food, it, it doesn't matter anymore. Jew or Gentile that is strong is like, it's not a big deal. The Lord is the Lord, and the Lord has said about that we aren't bound by the ceremonial laws of Moses. The Jews would be understanding in their minds, the mature Jews. And the Gentiles would understand that, you know, God is God is the one who really made that food. That goat that piece of goat meat or that piece of oxen meat doesn't belong to Zeus or it doesn't belong to these uh, demons that are behind uh, false religious systems. God is the true God, and He is ultimately sovereign over all of that that is happening. And I can eat this meat in free conscience because the, it really belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the demons and it doesn't belong to these false gods. It belongs to the Lord and I am free to eat. God has made that clear and known to me. I don't have to worry whether or not my meat was before an idol or not. It doesn't really matter. Verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And so one of the things that the strong might do is to regard with contempt. They might have a contemptuous looking down upon attitude toward those that aren't living in as much freedom of the truth as they are. You could kind of look down your nose at them as if you're strong and you know what's going on, like, oh, these guys. <clears throat> and then you pass judgment on them and you look down on them with contempt rather than accepting the weak brother where he is at with the knowledge that he has in his conscience. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. Okay, so that's another command Paul gives to the strong. Don't have a contemptuous look down your nose, looking down upon the weak uh, for not understanding the freedoms that you know to be true. Now, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. So the problem with the weak, the weaker brother in faith who doesn't have the knowledge that the stronger brother has, or the more mature brother has, the sin that they can fall into is judgment. They can have a judgmental attitude toward 
the strong, like that person, don't they know if they start doing that, they're really going to go into lots of more sin and they're sinning and oh, they're just going to go down a negative place, you know, and that can be the view like, oh, he, he, uh, modern day, maybe it's, uh, I'm going to be careful how I say this and sensitive. Somebody can become very strong in their opinion, let's say about uh, regarding alcoholic drink, let's say wine or a beer. Let's say you're in a grocery store and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to express my beliefs according to the text as accurately as I believe is possible here. And I believe this is perhaps a legitimate example of this principle not being followed out in modern day times. You're in a store and you and your wife enjoy having a glass of wine with dinner, especially with like an Italian or Greek meal or something historically, and you enjoy the taste. Somebody else um, who grew up, I'm going to say, in a very strong fundamentalist church, and we can define those terms later, just going with broad sweeping terms, the academic world uses them amongst Christianity, so I'm not trying to offend anyone here. Somebody else could be like, I have all of my reasons why I don't like anybody who would ever have a drink of wine. It doesn't taste good. Well, that's a matter of your own opinion. Just like back in verse one, don't pass judgment on somebody's opinions. Just because you don't think something tastes good doesn't mean that it isn't to somebody else. Some people like bitter herbs and other people are like, yuck, how could you ever enjoy a piece of mint or basil? It doesn't taste good at all. Uh, you know, so it, that's opinion about what people's taste preferences are. So, uh, you know, taste preference isn't a good example of saying, why don't you just drink a nice Coca-Cola, a sugary, sweet drink, rather than having a glass of kind of somewhat bitter wine or something like that. Um, those are just preferences and palates. Lots of people across the world have different palate plates of tastes and what they enjoy. Also, things that you experience from your childhood with your parents um, those things carry on with you into your adult life about what you think is a good tasting meal. My wife likes tuna fish and, and cabbage meal. You know, it's, it just stinks the house up. I never, yucky. It don't, don't smell good. It don't taste good. But my wife, it's, she loves that. She loves, uh, this, this cabbage meal. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Elizabeth three out there example husband wife example there so back to what i was talking about at the store <clears throat> somebody could 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 view alcohol as a big problem and somebody that would would even enjoy tasting that that's ridiculous you know and you're passing judgment on that brother or sister in the lord that does enjoy uh, the taste of a beer or a, of, a, of a certain kind of wine uh, nowhere in the in the New Testament or in the Old does it forbid alcoholic drink, fermented drink. It forbids drunkenness and to letting your mind go to a place to where you are unable to act soberly and still take care of your children or do duties that you need to do. So drunkenness is always forbidden, but never having a drink, having two drinks. Um, so... I think we should all be careful with that and, and hopefully prayerfully grow in maturity in that area. Um, so the strong and weak brother both have commands in verse 3. 
The one who is strong, the one who eats, is not to regard with contempt. Don't have a contemptuous looking down upon attitude. Uh, you can also view them with contempt because the weaker brother is also going to often judge you and try to restrict your freedom. So you'll feel contempt toward them like, they're just trying to hold me back from my freedoms I know I have in Christ. Don't do that. Paul says don't do that. It's not about that. And we're going to get to what it's really about. It's about being sacrificial, loving, and being sensitive to your neighbor where he's at with his conscience and his beliefs, with the knowledge that he does have, and being willing to lay down your freedoms to serve your brother. So be careful how you use your freedoms, as long as it's not to cause somebody to sin. You want to be careful and sensitive with that, those of you who are strong. And those who are weak, you have a command here. Don't judge the one who knows he has some freedoms. Paul wants to mature you in your knowledge. At least, do not pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has accepted him. God has accepted the strong man, the mature man who does have a drink of alcohol, or who is, in this passage, eating a piece of meat that might have been offered to Zeus back at the temple there in Corinth, in Corinthians. God accepts him, Paul says. So who are you to judge him? That's the idea. Verse 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? And that's what Paul's going at. This person belongs to God. If God is accepting him, you need to accept him and not pass judgment. Likewise to the strong. If God is accepting the weak, you who are strong need to accept him also. To his own master, he stands or falls, Paul says. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is a matter of opinion, guys, going back to verse 1. These are not overly important areas of doctrine. This isn't an area of doctrine. Paul says these are areas of opinion. And so in areas of opinion, this is Paul's general principles of direction for Christians, where there's not these clear-cut commands. Be very careful not being accepting, not being loving, not being um, gracious to your brother, weak or strong, in certain areas where there are not clear-cut commands. Especially in regard to this area. I believe these are principles that help guide us in other areas where there aren't necessarily clear-cut commands. One person regards one day above another. One regards every day alike. And so this, verse 5, may be hinting at Sabbath or other certain new moon festivals and such, as is mentioned in Colossians 2, uh, 16 and 17, where Paul says, let no one stand as your judge in regard to Sabbath or new moon or certain festivals. So for Jews and Gentiles, Jews were not to make it, make proselytes out of Gentiles that would become Jewish. They did not have to observe Sabbath observances. They did not have to do the ceremonial laws of Moses. You can also read Acts 15, where the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church make it clear what their edict and um, discretionary letter is to the Gentiles who are turning into the Lord in belief, repentance and belief. You can read that there, what their commands to the Gentiles were. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. And so for the Jew... He believed he was still supposed to try to keep Sabbath, then you know what? Let him do it. Let him do it to the Lord. And if there were Gentiles 
that were wanting to do that also, follow maybe some some of the old laws of Moses. And, you know, maybe they, they felt like they should do that. Or they were like, you know what? Or they were so convinced, like, every Christian has to come together on Sunday or else. You know, they are a sinner. They're just a terrible sinner. Um, there are principles and guidelines to assemble on Sunday, and I, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to get into that now, but I, I don't believe Sunday was a clear-cut command that everyone must worship. Traditionally, and according to a, two verses specifically, um, Christians did gather on Sunday to worship. But it was not like, if you are unable to worship on this day because of your status as a slave or some other thing, you weren't in sin. You weren't to be treated as, as if you were in sin. And so... I believe that's also part of the reason why it wasn't sin is because many different people from many different backgrounds might not be able to do things on certain days. And so today in our you know 21st century, 20th century, for many years, hundreds of years, and in, you know we make a work week and an economic week where Sunday is the day that people have off. Most masters, employers give people off on Sunday uh, to be able to have religious observances because most people... Um, follow Christian or the nation was very Christian at one time. But follow, but worshiping on Sunday is not commanded. Like you shall worship on Sunday or be in sin. It's encouraged. Paul sets that precedence. We see that precedence in the New Testament. So we fall in underneath that guideline and principle, but it's not a, a command whereby a Christian would be sinning if they couldn't or if a church were to set apart a different day for their cultural context to worship the Lord on. Okay, so that's in regard to days as well. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind what he does. And so in order for it to not be sin, it just needs to be done from faith. If you believe you want to keep a day, keep it. If you believe you want to keep every day as worship to the Lord, yes. I think that's the general New Testament principle. Every day is for the Lord. Uh, another thing I want to say about days is that sometimes in a Christian context, a cultural Christian context, we make Christmas and Easter high, high holy days now. And is that good? Yes, it can be good. But can it be bad? Yes, I think we can go too far and say that somebody's not a good believer if they're not as excited about Christmas and Easter as we are. I think all Christians, I mean, some Christians are like, I celebrate Jesus's birth and resurrection. I try to preach to myself the gospel every single day. His coming, his Emmanuel, God with us, his birth. And then I also try to teach myself and my children and people around me his resurrection every day. I live in the power of his resurrection every day. And is it special to remember what time of year that happened? Yes. But we also take communion throughout the year. Not just near the Feast of Passover, when right before Jesus' uh, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. We take communion throughout the year to remember him often. We remember that truth often. So some Christians might want to remember the truths of Jesus' birth, Christmas, we celebrate Christmas and end of December, or Jesus' uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and the truth of justification uh, being accomplished by Jesus on the cross, 
and his resurrection that provides proof to us that God was indeed satisfied with the Son's finished atoning work on the cross, that he atoned for our sin, that he completely covered our sins, and that we are clothed in Christ Jesus now. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus covering us. And there is no more wrath to bear. We have no wrath to bear. We are covered by Jesus Christ. And God was fully satisfied with him. And we know that God was fully satisfied because there is proof in the resurrection that his sacrifice was a satisfying sacrifice to the Father. He was raised from the dead because of our justification, as Romans 4.25 says. God the Father was satisfied with the Son. And it was finished and it was complete. And he was resurrected to eternal life. And we have this truth and this hope. The greatest hope I believe we can hold on to is that there is no wrath for us who are in Christ. We have no condemnation. Jesus was raised from the dead. The Father was satisfied. That is the evidence we have that the Father was satisfied with the Son's sacrifice on our behalf. He was resurrected. He is resurrected and risen forevermore. Okay, sorry, got off on a tangent there on the gospel. So anyway, some people want to keep certain days and treat it like, oh, today is really special. Today is that special day in the year. And that's wonderful. Praise God with that person. And if you want to treat every day as special through the year, the one who wants to treat the one should look at the brother who tries to treat every day the same and be like, that's special too. You know what, I, there's something I can learn from him and that's special too. He's fully convinced in his mind that that's right. I'm fully convinced in my mind to make this day extremely special. It's a matter of opinion. Be fully convinced in your own mind and worship God together the way that you both do. God hasn't given us prescriptive commands of, you know, rigid, this day will be extremely special and you better act this way on that day or else, you know, you won't be partaking of grace that day and your soul will feel squinched. You know, it's, it's not like that. Okay, moving on. Verse 6. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Look at what it says there. He who observes the day does so for the Lord. This guy believes that he is keeping a special day for the Lord and that he's serving the Lord in that way. Praise God. Praise God for that person. He who eats does so for the Lord, and he gives thanks. The person who eats the meat believes he is trusting in God's truth that this meat really belongs to you and it doesn't belong to any demon or any idol and you are the God of the universe and I believe I can eat this because I'm eating it for you, God, and I trust in your truth and I magnify you for this freedom and I glorify you that you are the true, true God. I, I believe that I can do that and he does so for the Lord, the text says. And he gives thanks to God for that freedom. He's thanking God for that freedom and that that God has given him the ability to do that. And now look at the weak person. He who eats not that meat or drink or that day, for the Lord he does not eat. So that person, he doesn't eat meat for the Lord as well. He believes he's serving God. He believes he's serving the Lord. And he gives thanks to God that he is not eating meat. And so he thanks God for what God has provided him and what he feels clear in his conscience to do. He thanks God for that and he does so for the Lord. Both of these people, the strong and the weak, believe they are serving the Lord from their heart, from their conscience and what they believe to be his right. Okay? 
And we can all be thankful for that. They're both giving thanks to God. They're both doing what they believe is right in a way to serve and be for the Lord. Verse 7, Paul drives this teaching home. For not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And there's never a more clear verse to talk about this lordship salvation and the sovereignty of Christ over your life as Lord and Master. Paul says, we, all Christians, are the Lord's. We are the Lord's possession. We were purchased. We were bought with a price. We belong to him, not to ourselves. And therefore, as Christians that are the Lord Jesus Christ's possession, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we are the Lord's. Whether we, what we, as we live and how we live, we ultimately belong to one master, both of us, all of us. All of us belong to the one master who purchased us with his own blood, Jesus Christ. And whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For to this end, in verse 9, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Jesus Christ is master. He is Lord. He is kurios. He is owner of all of us who believe. That he's the Lord, sovereign Lord of the universe. He owns all things. Paul gets back to asking us a question. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Getting back to that judging or having an attitude of contempt. Guys, weak and strong believers, accept the other brother. Don't judge. Don't have an attitude of contempt. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Okay, we're gonna we're accountable to God. Are we accountable to one another in some sense? Yes, we are, and we don't have time to get into that. Those passages of scripture that talk about that. But in matters of opinion, God is the judge. God is the judge. Verse eleven for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So ultimately, brothers, what Paul is saying here is that it's to God that we are going to have to stand and give an account of our life to. How we lived. And even how we died, possibly. What were we like on our deathbed if we die slowly? Or what do we do the moments before our immediate, sudden death? How do we live our life? How do we live our life in the church? Was I a judgmental person? Did I always act with contempt? Was I always fighting with weaker Christians? Or was I always having an attitude of contempt toward them? Or me as a weak Christian, was I always having a snobbish, judgmental, I can't believe those people are doing that. Don't they see that they're going to go into sin? Don't they see how bad this is for us in the church? Um, don't they see that they're bringing shame upon God? You know, you know, we're all going to stand before God and give an account of ourselves. Let's be really careful and make sure we know what we're thinking in our mind and heart. And I believe Paul is also in, in this passage of teaching, admonishing weak and strong to both grow 
in your understanding of the scriptures and of what God says about things. And to be careful not to make assessments or judgments where God does not. And so that's what Paul is pointing us to. Accept, don't be contemptuous, don't be judgmental, be careful with those things. Be careful where you apply contempt and judgment, or be careful where you apply judgment. Is this really a matter of sin in this person's life? Or do I need to be gracious and charitable and caring and be like, you know, there's not really a clear command on that. I maybe wouldn't do that. You know, or I'm, I maybe feel like I need to act more sensitively in that area around other people. Or what if this person thinks that? And so I'm cautious doing this. Um, you know, to each person, it needs to be sensitive how they operate in areas of opinion and not clear cut commands. And, uh, Maybe we can field some questions on those issues and scenarios where that would be the case in the future. Lord, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Lord, help it to to go to our hearts and to our minds. Help us who are strong to accept the weak or the new uh, Christians in Christ or for those who have areas of sensitivity or the various religious background that they come from where they still have sensitivity to certain issues in life where there might actually be freedom in Christ in those areas that they are unaware of yet. Help us to be sensitive to them and and to be loving and caring and gracious as we mature them in that area through slow and steady teaching of your word. Lord, for those who are so weak, help us to not be judgmental toward those who do have freedom in Christ, that we would not... um, be snobbish or judgmental to them or to treat them as as if they're going to bring in the church bring shame upon you or the church or that uh, those persons are just downright sinning and having a judgmental attitude toward them help us not to do that but help the weak help us who are weak to be sensitive toward that christian who maybe is acting in some freedoms that we don't feel free in yet and help us maybe to ask questions and sincerity and find out maybe an area where we don't understand yet, and that we can grow and mature in that area. Help us to have that attitude to our week. God, thank you for this truth. I I pray that these truths will continue to go on in the church today, that these principles, these guideposts, and these guidelines will help Christians love and serve one another, that Jew and Gentile will continue to come together over such issues. And Lord, we know that in the church today, there are still many Jews that are coming out of Judaism that would still struggle with these issues coming into the church today. And that there are many Gentiles uh, that would be embracing them that maybe would feel contemptuous toward them if, if the Jews are still sensitive in certain areas. Or Lord, Gentiles that were a part of strange religious systems before, that they bring uh, religious baggage to the truth and that we would be sensitive to them. These issues, these exact same issues still actually happen in the church today as the church goes forward. Help us, Lord, to realize these things and to be sensitive and caring and loving towards those that are yours. You are the Lord. and You have purchased both the weak and the strong in faith. And you are the one who grows and matures us together and you command us to love one another in deed and in truth. Help us to see that and to keep that as our focus in our life and our ministry in our families, and our churches. Amen.